right, welcome back to the From Field to Plate podcast. I'm Jeremiah Dowdy, and here today, uh, I'm I'm going to talk to another fellow lab guy. Uh, this is Alex with West End Kennels. Alex, how are you doing today? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, so I my whole thing on this podcast is love getting on people that aren't famous, that aren't out there, you know, like, oh, look, they have 1.2 million followers. Let's get them on here. I like getting people who are real real stories, real people, real experiences. So um, I know that you are a fellow British UK lab guy, just like myself. So kind of give a little overview to people listening, kind of who you are, kind of just where you got started and all that good jazz. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I mean, you know, I don't know how many dog trainers uh, and or breeders out there have a have a typical path to how they came to do what they're doing. But um, my path definitely had its, its curves and its lines. But, um, you know, I grew up uh, loving dog training. I, you know, trained guide dogs for the blind uh, with my family quite a bit. We always had work in line German Shepherds. So we did a lot of, you know, agility and obedience and tracking and, you know, just working with dogs that were, um, you know, bred to work, bred to train, bred to be focused on you, take cues off you, and bred to basically, you know, want to do what you wanted them to do. You know, that was a big driving factor for them is just doing what they could to please you. And so um, I always, you know, I enjoyed that. I've always thought of it as sort of like an applied animal psychology. You know, it's one of those things that, is almost as stimulating as, as you can make it, you know. Um, and simultaneously, you know, growing up, uh, waterfowling and hunting in general, but particularly waterfowling, was just a, a huge part of my life, you know. Um, and so when I was able to get my first duck dog, that really changed things for me because it was an intersection of, um, you know, many different worlds that I was, I was obsessed with. And so, um, you know, and, you know, I went to school in Los Angeles. I went to UCLA and studied, uh, go Bruins. Biology. yeah, go Bruins. Exactly. Are you a Bruin as well? Oh, I, it's, if you, if you say USC, I'll punch you. So, um, right, well, good. Yeah, no, I'm Bruin through and through. So, um, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, I studied molecular biology and marine biology. And so genetics have always been, a, um, kind of like a focal point, uh, for me. And so, um, you know, all these things kind of strung together between the, you know, the applied animal psychology, the training of it. Um, I've always, you know, loved animals and loved animal husbandry and taking care of animals and working with animals. Um, and the waterfowling aspect of it and, and the genetics in uh, terms of breeding dogs and selecting for the traits that, you know, I really appreciate in both a working dog, a hunting dog, and a dog that has the ability to be um, a well-rounded dog in terms of, you know, both excelling in the field and being a really nice dog at the home. Um, and that's really how I got started on the British Lab Doors because, um, you know, to be honest with you, if I wasn't such a avid waterfowler, I'd probably be training German Shepherds right now for the military or, you know, something of the like. And so, um, with the British labs, they actually, they have this sense of 
Ecclesianists about them that um, is very similar to a lot of the shepherds I've worked with, where it's like, you know, they're hyper-focused. They want to work for you. The joy and the work they get out of, you know, it, besides just retrieving and hunting and that sort of thing, the joy and the training is, you know, working hard to please you. And so, you know, I always say that uh, the most trainable dog is the dog that matches your training style and disposition best, right? So it's definitely a matter of being complimentary with the, with the dog that you work with and, and British Labradors are very much so that for me. Um, and so that kind of took me down that path. Um, and eventually, you know, I got to the point where I wanted to sort of break it, break away and do it for a living. And I, you know, I moved out to Minnesota for a while and worked for a big field trialer out there for quite some time, you know, kind of cut my teeth on, on really doing it professionally. Um, and then I came back to, uh, Montana. I'm in Missoula, Montana now, um, and started importing dogs. And, um, all my dogs here are either, uh, imports from overseas, so bred overseas that I brought over, or um, dogs from breeding of imports that, you know, I brought over, like my imported dogs that I've, that I've held back, you know, for one reason or another. Typically, it's because um, I want to enter them back into my training program. So that's kind of, you know, what I'm doing now is, uh, and that's kind of how I, I got there. So there's a, there's a lot going on in between, you know, but, uh, you know, so long story short, now I've gotten to the point where, you know, this is my full-time gig has been for about two years now. Um, although I've been, you know, training for obviously a lot longer than that. Um, and, you know, spring and summer, about six months out of the year, I'm, you know, training dogs full-time. And then in the fall, um, you know, I send all the, all the training dogs home and, you know, I've just got my crew here and we just kind of, trailer around and run around and chase birds all over uh, all over the place so um that's kind of the, the setup now and and what i've been up to for some time well as a guy who owns a british lab as well um i can tell you the same thing it is insane their drive to please and want to work um yeah and it's insane because you'll you know you'll I'll go out to the duck blinds. I'll go out to the dove fields. I'll go out to the pheasant fields. <clears throat> and you see all these other dogs that are out there. And, you know, you got your pointers who are great, uh, but they're spazzes, you know, in the house and out of the house. And it's like they're they're always on. You know, they're they're never off. I mean, like a buddy of mine, he's got a Poodle pointer. And that dog is insane. Like, it's the the dog never turns off. And yeah. one of the things I love about having the British lab, and it's a lot of times people are like British labs. I don't get it. Well, they're a smaller lab, but their drive is insane. And when we get home, you know, my dog's name is doc. He turns it off and he becomes a family dog. But the moment he sees me grab a shotgun or he sees me grab my whistle, it's like his entire demeanor and mo you know, mindset changes because it becomes, his job all of a sudden becomes his life becomes yep. his, it becomes his, his whatever. And, you know, you could throw a tennis ball for him for 17 hours. And even if he didn't want to go get that tennis ball, 
He'd still walk out there, get the tennis ball, walk back to you, you know, heel, and wait for you to grab the tennis ball. And you throw it again, he'd look at you, and he'd walk out there and get it. You know, that's why I got to tell the kids, too, like, hey, stop throwing the freaking ball. Um, <laughs> you're going to kill him. And it's funny because when he did some finishing training down here with one of the number one, you know, lab guys in Southern California, Starlight Kennels, and they told me the same thing. They're like, we don't, we usually don't train British labs. But he he's insane. Like he's their he was their favorite dog to like finish. Because um, yep. I did all the basic, but I'm like, dude, I just I I in Southern California, I can't go out to a field and finish train. You know, they own all these they own all this property out there. So it's like, hey, come for the last month and finish this dog. You know, um, and they still to this day are like, hey, can Doc come out and do this class? Or, hey, we're having kids come out. Can you bring your dog out? Hey, can you have you know, they've got, they have their own breeding program. They're still calling out my little red lab to come out and freaking chase birds, but it's just absolutely yep. insane. And so I think you, you hit around the money. Cause I've got guys like, Oh, Brittany's are the best. I'm like Brittany's are great, but it's still Brittany, you know? And to be able to have, yeah, them, it, go for it. The thing is, too, sorry, I mean to cut you off there. I was just gonna say, you know, like I don't have, like I said earlier, the best dog you can have is the dog that matches you in terms of what you're looking to do and your training style and this, that, and the other, you know. So I don't have anything against any other breed, but for what I do, which is which is waterfowling and pheasant hunting, um, you know, I haven't, you know, if, if I felt like the best dog for it was a different dog, I'd 100% be working with those dogs, you know, and I'm not saying that British Labs are the best dog for it, but in my estimation, that's, that, that's, you know, I can't find a dog better for it. And so the other thing too is like, yes, they've got lots of drive, but uh, drive is one of those things that's incredibly easy to breed for. You know, it's one of those things like a drive, speed, size, looks, those things are all abundantly apparent to anybody that's right. looking at the dog or it's not one of those things that you really have to be an animal person, a dog person to really understand what's going on with that dog and see what's going on, what the traits really are, what that dog is to the core to, to, to understand whether or not you want to kind of breed that into your lines. You know, so there's no shortage of driven dogs out there. Um, but I had a much easier time finding driven dogs that had incredible, uh, you know, composure in hunting situations, you know, you know, hundreds of birds just, you know, fluttering in their face, lots of birds dropping, calling, shooting, you know, a lot happening in, in dogs just being very composed, sitting there, you know, quiet, no like shivering, shaking, tapping, no whining, you know, um, that sort of thing. And, and so to me, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I would only bring a dog on a hunt if they truly um we're adding to the value of the hunt you know like i don't right. bring a dog out just to bring a dog out and have it do something that resembles what a hunting dog does you know i want it to be an asset out there and so um and to me that means you know both doing the work efficiently uh properly and in a crisp manner and also not taken away from the experience of the hunt by having you know a poor you know, like a tendency for poor blind manners, you know, and don't get me wrong, there is no shortage of wonderful American Labradors out there. I just had a harder time finding the dog that I like 
consistently with American lines over British lines. Yeah. No, I'm the same way. Like I said, I hunt with a lot of lab guys and they'll always say the same thing. Like, well, why does, why does your dog follow you around at your heel? I'm like, that's just, that's who he is. You know, it's like, I didn't, I didn't train him to be codependent. He just wants to be a part of it. If that makes sense. And for sure. some of these other labs that these guys have, they're training them just to go retrieve a bird. They're not training them to be their hunting partner. And right. it's to me, he's my dogs as important as the shotgun. And some of these guys get out there and they just want to have the dog go out and get the duck. But then they're sitting there feeding the dog, you know, pepperoni and the dog's running around in the, bl- in the duck blind people are shooting and then the guy's yelling and whistling because the dog didn't watch the bird drop and he's trying to do hand signals. And, and I look at him, I said, yeah, but your dog doesn't, your dog's just out here. You know, my dog, I think he wants to hunt more than I want to hunt sometimes. Um, yeah. Oh, for sure. And like I said, we, I was going on a Turkey hunt and I grabbed my shotgun and he literally ran, sat by the door and just sat there. And I was, um, I was doing other things. Wasn't even thinking about it. And my wife's like, your dog is sitting by the door for the past hour. And I'm like, what? And he's yeah, just staring. At the, yeah. He's just staring at the door. He's like, let's go. And I feel yeah. horrible when I'm like, dude, I'm going turkey hunting. You're not going. You know? <laughs> and then my wife's yeah. like, Oh, for two days he didn't eat. And he just laid in his, you know, he laid in his kennel all, all <laughs> depressed. And then I come home and he's like, you know, looking at me like, really, really? Um, but yeah, I would have been, yeah, I, which he would have. He would have sat there, not moved an ounce until. I mean, he would have went and retrieved yeah. a turkey when I shot it. And it's just, no, it's, it's fun. Dogs that will go, uh, and I'm sure there are guys with American dogs too. And you know, I don't, I don't want to. Uh, I, I'm not here to bash American dogs. You know, I, and I just want to make that clear because, oh, yeah. no. like, I, I agree. You know, a lot of it, a lot of it is just training, you know, and like I said, the best dog is the dog that's right for you. And, and I've got a lot of good, I've trained a lot of American dogs, I've, you know, a handful of them I've really liked. Um, I've hunted over some good American dogs. I've got really good friends that work exclusively with American dogs. And oftentimes I like their dogs, you know, and so, um, but like I said, British dogs, you know, for, for me, it was a no brainer route. I personally wasn't going to go. Um, and you know, and a lot of those little things that you're talking about, well, well, that's, you know, sort of training and their upbringing and that sort of thing too. But yeah, I mean, I, I do know a lot of guys, you know, particularly with British dogs that, you know, will hunt turkeys with their dogs, they'll hunt big game with their dogs, you know, their dogs aren't actively, uh, hunting when that's the case, you know, they're just kind of, it's just like, uh, you know, it's just a buddy. He's just, he's just, a, you know, there for the ride, you know. When you say down, he lays down, you know, when, you know, he's always quiet. He's just kind of watching, hanging out. You got a dog with you and it's, you know, it's nice for folks. Cause you always like to be outside with your dog, you know? Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, it's, uh, they definitely, they love the work. Um, you know, I like to think that I'm a fanatical hunter and waterfowler, but you know, there's no two ways about the fact that the, uh, the dogs, they, they love it more. I mean, they live for it, man, you know? Yeah, well, let's talk a little bit about waterfowl because that is my passion as well. Uh, you and I are both in the same flyway. Um, I think you've got the you've got that yep. tip of the Pacific flyway, and you've got kind of the central. But I'm in the Pacific flyway, yep. and so it's it's always fun to watch 
my Montana friends because I know the birds that are coming down to me. Um, and it's, yeah. and it's crazy when you think about waterfowling and I remember the first time I went out and I was, this is again, I'm from Southern California. So I mean, you, you went to school out here. The hunting industry is not like it is in the rest of the country. Um, you know, people are wearing camouflage because that's what the rapper wore. They're not wearing it because that's what their passion is. Right. And if you look at the hills and the, and all that stuff, we, we do have mule deer, but it's very far and few between. It's it's very hard to get a mature buck. They don't give out doe tags unless there's a couple in archery season. So if you want to be a hunter in Southern California, your primary chase is upland and waterfowl. And yeah. so for me growing up, that's what hunting was. If it flies, it dies, you know? And I remember always watching guys hunt with dogs and just so jealous of just watching these dogs work. And so I remember when I got my dog four years ago, it totally, I think it made waterfowling even better. Cause like you said, you have your best friend sitting in the blind with you. Um, yeah. and you're not killing yourself walking out in these marshes that are waist high, you know, in 30 degree yeah. weather. And when it, when it's raining out, you're like, all right, bud, you got a fur coat on, get out there. But like coming to waterfowling, like what, what, Besides the dogs, what intrigues you? What drives you when it comes to like upland and waterfowl? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question, man. Because it, it definitely it didn't start with the dogs. The dogs added to it immensely, but that's that's actually not how it started for me. Um, you know, growing up, um, I you know, I, and I've never even still I've never really met a, a type of, of bear chase hunting that. I, that doesn't get me excited, you know. Um, at this point, it's just I have to prioritize because you know things are overlapping, and you got to you got to pick and choose sometimes, you know. And so, growing up, you know, I remember before I turned twelve, you know, and this is classic, like you know, little kid hunting, just like you know, I wanted to, I wanted to shoot like the biggest thing I could, you know, I wanted to hunt the biggest quarry I could, which at the time was turkey, you know. Right. Um, and so, you know, I got really into turkey hunting and, you know, my dad worked hard to, to help, you know, get me out. And, you know, I had some mentors teaching me. And that was the first time that I was doing a type of hunting, you know, and I was young. I was in grade school at the time, you know, type of hunting that um, was very interactive. You know, turkey hunting in the spring, uh, you're calling birds, they're calling back, you know, there's a lot going on in the woods. And that sort of opened my eyes to interacting with wildlife um, in a completely different way than I had before. And don't get me wrong, I love spot and stock hunting. I absolutely love it. But there was something about calling them and communicating with them. And, you know, turkeys have have so many different uh, localizations that they use. and it's just a, it's it's like you know they have their 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 own language you know and and sort of tapping into that and trying to dupe them and you know out out chat the other hens real hens that are in the woods and bringing that tom and this that and the other you know I mean that really scratched my head that was something that I thought was just just the absolute coolest thing on the planet and to this day I mean springtime to me means turkey hunting you know and uh, i do it a little bit less than 
than I used to because, you know, obviously I'm, you know, I train full time in the springtime and it's, you know, it's quite a busy time, but, you know, spring's turkey season, you know, and, uh, and so when I got introduced to waterfowling, um, you know, it had a similar, it, you know, not in the same way, but just, you know, there's calls involved, right? You got, you know, every, every bird has its own sound. I mean, primarily you're using, uh, you know, mallard call, teal whistle, pintail whistle, widgeon whistle, you know, honker call, set call, maybe snow call. Uh, but, you know, there's definitely that element to it, you know, and the, the idea of luring them into you, you know, putting in the work scouting, figuring out exactly where they want to be, setting up, putting out a natural spread, putting a great hide together, you know, sweet talking them and coaxing them in. That was very stimulating to me, you know. So um, that's kind of what, when I, I think I was 11 or 12, when I went on my first waterfowl hunt, and uh, it, it was over from there, you know. And, and I think that's the story of a lot of people with waterfowl is, you know, it's a pretty polarizing thing. Most people aren't really indifferent about it. They're either like, yeah, I'm not really into it. I don't like it, you know, I don't really want to go waterfowl hunting or, you know, they end up building their life around waterfowl hunting because they're a full-blown addict, you know what I mean? And that the latter is definitely the route that I ended up taking yeah. because, you know, it was so stimulating to me. And I actually, you know, I grew up in Northern California, and so I grew up hunting uh, the Northern Central Valley and um, the waterfowling up there is um, Where'd you grow it's up? world-class. What's that? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Palo Alto, California. Oh, okay, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, and all the buddies that I ran with are still very close friends of mine, are all, you know, sort of up in the Chico area, that, you know, that's kind of in the northern third of the Central Valley. And that's where I grew up, you know, doing most of that in the grasslands of California down by Los Banos. That's where. Oh, dude, you Los know, Banos in the rice fields and in the grasslands hunting those ducks are insane yeah it's 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 really good stuff man and you know people don't realize how good the waterfowling is in california you know i think that um los bonos and don't quote me on this it's either in the western u.s or western hemisphere but los, the grasslands are the largest contiguous marsh in, in one of those two i forget whether it's the western u.s or, or western hemisphere but but any way you look at it i mean it's a it's a significant chunk of wetlands and it's, you know, it's a, there's just phenomenal waterfowl. I mean, there's, there's so much food. The weather is somewhat fair and the birds stay there for quite a long time. And, um, you know, I mean, to this day, I've still never seen bird numbers like, you know, you do when you're in the right spot in California and the migration is on and the weather moving birds around and it's just, you know, it's an ad geo-esque right as a whole. And I think one thing that a lot of people, you know, they just think of California, they think of politics. Um, but I tell everyone that, like, we have some of the best hunting and we have more species than most states in the entire union um, when it comes yep. to diversity. We have all three types of elk. We have Rocky Mountain. We have Thule. We have Roosevelt. You know, we've got four different types of quail. Almost yeah, are every- there rock- What's up? I don't think there's. I don't think there are native Rockies in California. Uh, no, but they've been brought in, and now they're having established. Um, they've 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 expanded from um, 
uh, where they've brought them in in like on the grapevine area, and they've gone through. But you can shoot all three types in there now. Um, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. But some of those tuli bulls on the tail and are uh, they're definitely plus size. <laughs> oh yeah, and then if you get up to the to the top and by like you know, um, up towards Oregon, and you're getting those Roosevelts, which are like moose size elk. But you look at like when it comes to upland game, you know, we've got pheasant, quail, chucker, we've got the dove, we've got the migratory, you know, white wings that come that are coming in and staying and they're going down to Mexico. But when you look at the actual Pacific flyway, we're getting so many different types of birds. We're not getting like the whistling ducks, which you're getting on like the East coast. Uh, we're not getting some of those scooters and stuff that are coming in, but you can go and you can hunt and not, you know, and shoot seven different species in a morning easy and it's insane because a lot of the birds will end up staying here because of the weather they won't even migrate down to mexico and so we'll have we'll have hunting all the way to the end of season you know the the numbers yesterday at the at at san jacinto and worcester were insane numbers i mean and it's almost the end of the season and guys are still out there you know filling it now we're not getting as many mallards as they're getting you know but we're getting the widgeons, the gadwalls, the, you know, the, the teals, the cinnamon, the green wing. We're getting all those ducks that are coming out here. And it's, it's so kind of, I don't know, as, as a local Californian, it's depressing sometimes when they just get bashed on. And I'm like, you don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Our, yeah, our state sucks. It's, it's ran by idiots, but it's probably one of the best states. If you want diversity of land, hunting, fishing, our fishing is phenomenal. Um, yeah. From oh, and sorry, just to, just to interject real quick here, I, I fact-check myself. And Rocky Mountain elk are actually historically native to northeastern California, and you're right, they were reintroduced into the southern California to Hatchby Mountain yep. in 66, 1966. So um, I just wanted to, to I was like, I knew, they, I knew they were coming yep. down from – they were up in Tahoe area, um, and that's where – that's out of the Thule range. That's where the, the Rockies, the Rocky elk were. And then if you would go high, if you'd go more Northern towards the coast, that's where you would find the Roosevelt coming in uh, along the coastline up in the, you know, the redwoods and across the top of the state. Um, but it's, it's just, but yeah, go for it. Back to your point. No, I was just going to, you know, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more about California. I mean, uh, politically it's a very complex place. Uh, there's a ton of people there. Um, I mean, you know, you're looking at one of the biggest agricultural economies in the world. And, you know, the people, the backbone of agriculture is not um, people living in cities, right? And so you, you have um, a, a, a big constituency of, um, you know, salt of the earth people living in California, but you have these dense populations and, you know, Sonoma, San Francisco, Los Angeles, you know, a lot of Southern California in general um, that are voting in ways that are different than that, that kind of oppose the way that um, by like square month, by area in the state, the rest of the state would uh, and does vote, you know, and so you actually have, um, you know, you, you have the, the legislation being led by the populist masses that are completely, you know, sort of out of touch with the rest of the state. And that's, 
that that's what gets so complicated in California, you know, and you see that in some other states as well, you know. But if you were to take California and say, you know, all of a sudden, you know, this is this is you know 500 years ago in California, right? You're looking at one of the most geologically, geographically diverse um, states and just regions in the country, you know, I mean, you, you've got the mountains, you've got the ocean, you've got the Central Valley with, you know, one of the most expansive marshes in the world. The um, deserts. You've got the Mojave Desert, you know, you, I mean, you just, there's so much going on there and there is so much wildlife and so much game. I mean, it really is in a lot of ways, a sportsman's paradise considering, you know, you, you know, you're, you're hunting and fishing year round there it's just that yeah it is it is politically socially quite complicated there's a ton of people there's a ton of private land and the culture around private land there is i mean people don't go door knocking in, in, in california you know you just don't because um the the the, the general vibe is that you know this is my land like this is mine you know what i mean yeah. like, and the problem and the problem we have too a, as a, hunters is they look at us from what they hear on TV um, where we're all just like bloodless killers. You know, I remember you talk about no one going door knocking uh, down here in Southern California, Julian area, which is part of the, like the Padres mountains. It goes all the way down to Mexico um, from San Diego mountains. Actually, it's all the way starts like in like Irvine and it goes all the way down to almost Mexico. <laughs> and this, yep. it divides, it divides our coast from our desert. Um, which is, it's such a diverse, you know, forest that meets desert. So you've got big old pines with your cactus and it's gorgeous area, big giant Mexico mule deer come over in there. Uh, we've got turkeys and you, you name it in this area. But I remember we were driving, I was looking for a place to, to turkey hunt and I was young, 1920. And I knock on some lady's door. This is, you know, no one told me, Hey, you don't, don't knock on people's door. I was just like, Oh, I'm going to ask this lady. She's got like 500 turkeys in her front yard. Right. So I knock yeah. on it. And this lady's like, how dare you? Uh, they're like our pets. They're like this. They're like this. You know, we feed them. We do this. We do that. I'm like, Oh, okay. I just want that one Tom that's out in the middle of the field. Uh, <laughs> I don't want all 500 of them. And so she was yelling and screaming. So I was like, well, let me leave my phone number with you because you know, just in case and she's like, ah, all pissed off. Right. Well, like, that was before season. Well, season comes along. This lady has a brand-new silver Mercedes. What happens to that brand-new silver Mercedes when big old Scratch and Tom sees himself in the reflection and he walks over and starts yeah. beating the crap out of a brand-new Mercedes? Well, guess who got a phone call? <laughs> and come kill She's these like, birds. Come, come kill them all. They're all blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, it's funny how when your, your personal, you know, life gets affected by these animals that all of a sudden it's like murder them all, kill them all. You know, and I was like, well, yep. I can only legally shoot three. She's like, shoot three then. And I was like, okay, I'll be back tomorrow and the next day. Um, <laughs> and, you yeah. know, shot three big old toms off this property. And it's still an area that I can go and, you know, talk to this lady and go hunt this property. And it's, yes, door knocking is hard, but it is doable. Um, and it is, yep. it, no. it is hard because a lot of the people that you are knocking, they have this, it's my land, you know, get off my land. Sort of like watching Yellowstone, right? Like, oh, my gosh, don't even go near my fence. Um, and it's just crazy. I mean, but I don't know. It's 
I love hunting. I love bird hunting. And I think my passion for waterfowl and turkey is the same as you is I remember the first time I was sitting in the turkey woods and I let out, you know, a yelp and the freaking forest erupted with, you know, thunderous hammering. And I went, yep. Oh my gosh. Like I almost peed a little bit. I probably did pee a little bit. And I remember just, I remember just sitting there like this. And then I had a Tom that was behind us in the bushes and he was so close that we could feel his drumming and his beating. Like I felt, I felt his, his of his drumming inside of his chest, inside of my chest. And I remember like, I was, I've never shaken when I've shot something like, Oh my gosh, I shot a buck and I'm shaking. Right. I was sitting there going like, dude, this guy, this is the best. And then he came out and he came running out and just attacked my Jake decoy. And I remember I almost let him get away because I was just so enamored at him beating up that Jake and how big he was and how like I had done this. I had called him in. He was held up. So I start scratching the ground with my hands. Like, you know, sound like fighting. I'm flapping. I didn't have any wings at the time, but I took my hat off and hit it against my leg. Yep. And this dude came in ready to ready to freaking fight. He thought there was, a, you know, that that Jake was taking his girl. And I remember I had watched it for like three and a half minutes, and I was just like, dude. Till finally he was just gassed and winded and looked right at me, and I was like, sorry, bud. But yeah, the same thing happened the first time I went waterfowling. It was pouring down rain. It was like forty two degrees. Uh, I was actually up in Los or up in um, uh, up by Redding. Uh, what's it called? It starts with the B. Bernie. And, uh, yeah. and we were up there hunting and I remember it was pouring down rain. It was freezing cold. I had water in my freaking waders cause I bought cheap waders. I'm like, this is the stupidest thing in the world. Like guys who do this are insane. And all of a sudden I see, you know, a whole bunch of ducks kind of, I was by myself, a whole bunch of ducks kind of make this circle. And so I just started letting out the calls that I've been practicing, looking in YouTube and we're not YouTube on those old videos. You remember those old primos, like. VHS and DVDs that they used to oh, send yeah. out when you bought a call. It was like, put this in. And you watched, you know, like, like Will Primo sitting there like, meh, 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 meh. You're like, all right, Will, I can do the same thing. Um, <laughs> and I remember I did it and that whole, all those ducks that were up there just kitched, came down, put breasts up. And I remember it was just like, I did that, you know, like I turned them and then I called in my first goose from that same field. There was geese way up high. And all of a sudden, like three geese dropped it, dropped down from the, you know, to come in. And it was just one of those yep. deals where I was like, this is, this is addicting. Like, I love, don't get me wrong, I love deer hunting. I love spot and stock. I love walking around. But there's something about elk, turkey, and waterfowl where you are communicating and you are trying to outsmart your dinner. And you are trying to yep. prove that, that you can do this. Like, deer hunting, most of the time, you're like, oh, crap, there's a deer. Right. Or, you know, or, Hey, I know they're coming into this food plot or whatever. And same thing with quail and chucker and pheasant. You're walking all of a sudden like your dog's like, Hey, there's one here, dummy. Um, and, and then the hunts on. But I think when you're able to communicate with a bird, we were hunting, um, in Northern Washington. I was trying to get my, my world slam. And we were up in these mountains, these public land mountains, rolling mountains you know, go up 2000 feet on these mountains and i remember we just we were exhausted from hiking around and trying to put out spot calls and we sat down and we we're eating lunch and i remember we we're just sitting there kind of talking and i sneezed super loud 
And when I sneezed, <laughs> I heard. And, <laughs> yep. and I just froze. And I was like, I mean, we threw up our face masks. We threw our lunch in our backpack. We like put our shotguns up on our knees and put on our gloves. And I remember I just let out like a, just a yep, yep, yep. It was like. <laughs> it was like, oh, and next thing you know, dude, running down the freaking mountain at us. No decoys, oh, no yep. nothing. Again, we still had like peanut butter and jelly in our beards. And you <laughs> yep. know, he comes running in and he just hauls. Hot bird. Oh, he just stops. And I'm like. Freaking, we've been going at this for like three days, and I sneezed, and this bird, but it was like, there's something about that communication and bringing that bird down the mountain at you, and that, yep. that is effective, and that's, I don't know, I think that's that's the my favorite part about hunting, besides, you know, cooking, and we'll get into that next, because I know that you said you're a big, a big cook, and, and like to eat all that stuff too, but I think that, to me, is when you can communicate with your game, and I think that's where it comes in with the dogs also. Is because when my yep. dog is watching the same thing I'm watching, it's crazy when your dog knows which bird you're going to shoot. Yep. If that makes, I mean, if, if I remember we were dove hunting this year, this is the best year my dog's ever done. And it was second season. We're out there and there's like 13 different flocks coming in. And I click my safety. And as soon as I click my safety, of course, my dog's eyes are on the sky. Right. Yep. And I remember I pulled the trigger and it's like, again, there were so many birds coming in, but as soon as I shot that bird, like his eyes were like, got it. And I, I said his name, dude, he took off. And it was one of those moments where it was just like, when you see that when you're duck hunting, when you're quail hunting, when you're whatever, to watch your dog and you be on the same page is just, I don't know. It's one of the coolest things. And there was, there was this um, dog oh, trainer in the field who trains uh, Malamutes for the police department. And he, huh. he and he came over to me, and he goes, "Hey, that was fun to watch." And I go, "What?" He goes, "I train police dogs for a living." He goes, "And it's funny to watch your dog act just like the police dogs do, like the way that he was responding and listening, and you know, hand signals and all this other stuff." And I was like, "Oh, thanks, man. That means a lot." And he goes, "And I lost a bird over there in the bushes. What do you think about your dog going and find it?" <laughs> and I was like, "All right, yeah, sure." Yeah. So I walk over there, and I was like, "You know, hunt him up, dude." I mean, this stuff was thick briars and out how he comes prancing with it in his mouth. And the guy puts his hand down. I go, my dog will never give you a bird. Just so you know, like, he's like, what? And I go, so he comes and sits next to me and I put my hand out and I go, all right, you know, and yep. the guy starts laughing. He goes, Oh, I, I'm so sorry. I was like, no, I'm just letting you know, like you can put your hand out. My dog's gonna look at you like you're an idiot. I'm not going to get in trouble. You know? Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, is, like, you know, they're training, you know, when swingers are working retrieves and stuff like that. The retrieve ends at the point they started from, you know what I mean? So, yeah. the retrieve coming back to their handler. So, it's not even, it's not even the, you know, distinction that, like, oh, I can't, I can only give this bird to one person, you know, because if somebody else is running the dog and they do it enough, like, that dog's going to come right back to the other person, you right. know. But, um, yeah, it's just that, you know, you know, well-trained dog is going to deliver the dog to his handler period you know that's right. that's what the retrieve you know it's not it's not pulling the dog out of the water or a deep spot it's not getting it closer to you it's, it's bringing that bird and hitting it hitting your palm with it you know what i mean yeah and i yeah it's just i don't know it's 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 cool too because this this year my oldest daughter she shot her first dove and it was fun too because you know i made i sat i i stood back like five feet and i 
you know, she, she also helps train the dog. So I'm like, Hey, he's yours today. And it was fun to watch her like yep. control him and him listen to her. Um, yeah. You know, he was, when she shot her bird, he, I mean, it was a, it was a phenomenal hit and he just watched it and she's like, well, so she stood up to like, or she started to walk out to get it. I go, Hey, Hey, you have a buddy who's been staring at that bird since it dropped. Yep. She's like, she's like, oh yeah, doc. Ooh, he runs out, grabs it, comes right back, sits next to her. And she's like, give me the bird. I go, that's not a, how you say it. She's like, all right, release, you know. And yep. And but it's just funny for her. But then at the end, it was just like, she's like, did you, you know, one hit the bushes? She's like, I didn't see it. I said he did. So send him. And so it's fun when your kids actually start to see and develop it. It's not just the dog at home that that they, that they throw a tennis ball to, but it's like. It's actually a tool in our hunting bag, which I think is dope. Yeah, no, definitely. It's a great thing to do with family and the kids, and it's it's pretty special to watch. You know, the dog that you put so much time into, um, you know, working well with someone else that, you know, you care about, and it just, it kind of, it brings something to the hunting experience that, um, you know, I know a lot of guys now that are like, you know, if they can't bring their dog, like they're not going, yeah. you know what I mean? Cause it's just, it's not even, it, it doesn't mean as much to them anymore if they can't do it with their dog, you know? Yeah. I went out, I went out dove hunting a day. Well, I went with a buddy and we were out there dove hunting. I was like, this sucks. Like dove hunting is one of my favorite hunting, but to not have your dog out there, I don't know. It just, I agree with you. It was one of those deals where it was like, it was, I had to walk out, get my own birds. I was like, you know, there was just something about having that partnership where you knew what, you know, what each other was doing and, you know, sending. So you were still having eyes on the sky and he comes right back next to you. And I think the excitement when he comes back with a bird in his mouth is the same excitement I was when I shot the bird. Um, and I think that's where it's fun, but well, I know we're, we've been talking for 40 minutes. So let's kind of talk a little bit about, you know, eating some of these birds and, and eating some yeah. of our game. So, I mean, I can talk about cooking and eating all day long, but what are some of your favorite type of dishes that you like to cook and, and you like to make at home with? I mean, you can, we're talking about waterfowl, turkey, and upland. So what are your favorite, like, bird-style recipes? Your your go-tos yeah, you with know, a bird. Yeah, so my go-tos, I mean, um, sorry, one second here. I just had to, um, I got puppies, so I'm just kind of doing a, a thing here and there, but let me walk back into the office here so I can uh, you can hear me properly um yeah so you know with ducks you know my favorite thing to do is take like a big fat mallard or pintail and pluck the whole you know breast side of it basically and the legs and then around just down like not not the whole back but just kind of down below the breast on the sides and then I'll cut out both breasts and both legs on one contiguous piece of skin, but there's no bone in there. Um, and so it's, it's all on one piece of skin, right? And so, um, and then I'll score that up and I'll get a, um, you know, and you basically score it, right, to, to open up some of the fat and stuff like that. And it just, it just gives the fat a much higher, you know, surface area to volume ratio so that it, and, it, and it's open skin now so it renders out much easier as you know and I'm, and I'm, I'm preaching the choir over here but um so i'll put that like you know 
inside down in a steering hot pan and just, you know, the, the sap begins to render out immediately, you know. Um, and so that, that bird basically starts frying in its own fat, you know, skin side down, you want that skin to get nice and crispy. And then I'll flip it over and it's a hot pan. So, you know, sometimes I can't quite get the full thing cooked to where I want it before it starts to char a little bit on bottom. So I'll flip it over for a couple minutes and then I'll actually put it in the oven at like 350 for five minutes. And while I'm doing that, I'll take, uh, all that fat that rendered out and make like a little like wine reduction, either blueberry, blackberry, like pan sauce type thing. And then pull that bird out and you got a, a rare to medium rare bird with that crispy skin on top and that, you know, wine reduction sauce over it and something about, you know, the, the wine and the, the berries and the way that reduces. It's just, it's so good. And honestly, I mean, I know duck gets a bad rap, but I don't think a lot of people have had it cooked in a way that, like I had some duck last night and I didn't even make any sort of stuff pan sauce or, with it or anything. I just, you know, I just did it in the pan just the way I just described. And when it's medium rare like that and that skin is crispy, I mean, it, it literally tastes like a delicious piece of beef. It does not taste like a duck. And it's there's no hint of liver or anything like that, you know. Um and that's that's one of my favorite things. I also, you know, will breast out uh, some birds, um, and then you know I'll throw those in the sausage. I'll take the legs, you know, off of a lot of birds, and at the end of the year, you know, I'll make like a big uh, confit batch of confit, you know. So I'm basically just, uh, you know, get the uh, get the sous vide rolling, and you know, vacuum seal a bunch of duck legs skin on in a, or sorry, actually I do skin off now that I think about it. Um, but, you know, vacuum sealing in there with a bunch of duck fat and they're basically just slow cooking in duck fat. And at that point, you know, you just can tear everything off the bone there and you've got just delicious, like oily, moist uh, duck meat that you can kind of, you know, brown really quick, put on some tacos, put on pasta and burritos, whatever. And that's, and that's really good. Um, I think it's, with, I think it's great that you're talking about legs because I think a lot of birds, the leg is my favorite part. Leg and thigh on any bird is my favorite part. Um, oh, they're and they're it, just they're just a little tougher oftentimes, you know. So you gotta you gotta take a different approach. Yeah, you gotta work on it. It's not like going to the state fair and getting a leg, you know, a turkey leg and munching on it and be like, this is great. Um, right. And that's why I tell people like, once once you understand the mechanics of the animal. And yep. and the the structure of the meat, cooking becomes fun. Um, and I've you know I've made my living off of taking the parts that people don't want to eat, making them cool, edible, and and attractive. And so it's it's fun yep. when, other, when other people talk about you know plucking the skin side of the bird because a lot of people don't they think ducks are so much harder to pluck than they are. Now sometimes you get those pen feathers that are a pain in the butt, but yeah, you can those you, you are can, pain but you can literally put on a plastic rubber glove and rub your thumb up it. Like you were like massaging your girlfriend's back and rub up that, that duck breast and those pin feathers actually stick to that rubber glove and come right off. And, or you can do a wax or you can do a wax bath or there's so many different things you can do. But I think when it comes to, when it comes to eating is when you can find that wild, I think a lot of, how do I put a, a lot of misconceptions around waterfowl. And 
wild game meat in general is it has to be cooked well done. Um, and I think when you cook an, a wild game animal well done, you ruin the essence, and that's where that that quote-unquote I don't like the taste comes in. Um, because yeah. I've never yeah. – there, there's people that hate venison. I cook it for them. They're like, this is phenomenal, but I, I'll eat it if you cook it. I'm like, I can teach you how to cook it. Uh, we were at duck yeah. camp, and I plucked a bunch of gaddies. We shot a crap load of gadwalls. And I plucked like 14 of them. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do stuffed roast duck for everybody. Because I just could, right? And they were, and there was like six guys at camp like, mm, we don't eat duck. I was like, you just came and shot your limited duck. You're not going to eat duck? Oh, no. Unless we're going to make it into poppers. I was like, well, you no. Like, I'm not making poppers. So at the end, though, those guys were like, okay, well, cool. Can you give us this recipe so we can make this at home? And so it's like, I love taking away the misconceptions that stuff isn't good and stuff isn't tasty. Like, yeah. like I posted the picture of a heart, you know, the, the heart jerky and some dude just commented. He's like, Oh, the hearts belong in the, in the gut pile. And I was like, cause you never had it cooked. Right. He's like, well, I tried it one time yeah. and it tastes like crap. Well, cause you probably didn't, you probably just literally took it out of the animal and threw it in your freaking fridge for a week or your animal was whatever, or you didn't cook it properly. You probably overcooked it. Like, I've cooked, I, I, I slow smoked an elk heart and sliced it and I put it next to, I saw that. And I, I put it next to, I went to a party. This was, that was a bunch of venison hearts that I, I love smoking hearts. Um, they're just really hard to keep lit. That was a dad joke. I apologize. But, um, <laughs> I took this giant elk heart, you know, I smoked it. I stuffed all the ventricles full of rosemary, garlic, thyme. Um, until the whole thing was oh, just wow. stuffed with all, you know, I didn't clean out any of the vent. I would just with cold water and cleaned it out and pressured it out. Yep. <laughs> and I remember I sliced it and this dude put it next to like sliced filet mignon. Now I can't eat beef, but the people were grabbing it and the heart went before the sliced filet. People were like, yep. well, what kind of meat is this? Hey, what kind of meat? Oh, it's so tender. It's so flavorful. It's so juicy. It's so, I'm like, oh, that's an elk heart. And they're like, wait, what? You know, I go to SHOT Show every year and I bring different random jerkies, you know. I brought coyote jerky, bobcat jerky, beaver sticks, or I took a bunch of beaver. Uh, but this year I'm doing heart jerky. And there's a bunch of people like, oh, we're not even going to try it. And I said, I have a rule. If you don't like it, you spit it in my hand. But you got to take a bite. And I've never <laughs> to this day had anybody spit. Yeah, I've, I've never had anybody spit food in my hand. I remember we were talking about Will Primos a little earlier. We were at SHOT Show a couple years ago. I brought... Um, bobcat jerky and we're sitting at the mossy oak booth and will comes over and talks he's like oh will you gotta try this you gotta try this and will's like what is it he's like oh it's jerky so will grabs a piece out and he's like what kind and i was like oh it's bobcat he goes ain't gonna eat this crap and he, i go will like take a bite if you don't like it spit it in my hand and literally they're filming this on on like for his show and i put my hand yeah. out i remember he takes a bite and looks at me and he goes Son of a bitch! I gotta start eating. I gotta start eating cats. And he reached into the bag, grabbed a whole handful, put it in his front pocket of all these jerky sticks. He's like, "Thanks." And he just started eating the jerky. And I was like, "It's fun for me to change people's mindsets when it comes to the way food and wild game is going to be cooked." Um, yeah. So I don't know. It's just a fun little story of getting Will Primos to eat a cat. You know. Well, definitely. Yeah. I mean. The thing is that hunting is an incredibly sustainable way to um, source nutrients, right? And so if you can take 
the things that you're pulling off the ground uh, and displace what you would otherwise be buying at the store, you know, then um, then you're doing a good thing. You know what I mean? You're doing 100%. a good thing. I remember when COVID, uh-huh. when COVID hit and the meat, you know, you, you couldn't buy meat anywhere, especially to here in California. I had people from yep. my church who were anti-hunting calling me, asking me for meat because they hadn't had meat in two weeks and their families needed food. And I was like, yep. well, I, I got, I got three freezers full of it. So I remember I would literally just like, well, what do you guys want? And it was like, oh, we want ground. I, I, met, I, I save a lot of legs, like whole legs, just cause I like to do. Uh, maybe I want to cook a whole egg or butcher it or whatever. Yeah. And I remember I took like 300 pounds of venison and just ground it and put it in one pound bags. And I went to church on that, you know, no one was doing anything. So I just drove to people's houses and I was like, Hey, here's 10 pounds of ground. Hey, here's 10 pounds of ground. Hey. And it's like going around and it's, it was funny because out of all those people that went or that I gave food to, I have now taken seven out of those 15 families to hunting trips. And I love it. And it all was because of the food they ate and changing their, you know, and then the pe- people were like, still, they didn't have money. So I'd make four batches of, you know, elk lasagna and I would put it, yep. you know, in aluminum pans and I just drop off at five different houses. Hey, here's lasagna. And it was crazy when people actually tasted real meat. Right. And then there was a story behind the meat. It wasn't just grocery store, vacuum sealed, no idea, grab a, grab a, grab a 10 pound block of, of steaks. And like, I could, I could tell them, Hey, this is the elk that we shot. Hey, here, Oh, Hey, this is white tail from, you know, Mississippi. Hey, this is black tail from central California off of a winery. Look at the red hue to its fat. Cause it was eating grapes. You know, yeah. like there's yeah. a, there's a story, yeah. there's a story behind the dinner. And I think for us who are hunters, waterfowl, upland game, big game, you know, high fence, low fence, public land, private land. I don't care when we come together, there's a story around dinner. And I think, you know, you as a dog trainer, I think it's got to be very satisfying for you to be a part of so many people's stories when they're taking their dogs out and their dogs working. I bet you get stories all the time. Like, Oh, look at this picture. Right. I know that uh, like, Hey, the dog you trained, here's the duck hanging out of its mouth. It's got to be so rewarding for you. It's sort of like me who is a chef and someone sends me a picture of food they made that of one of my recipes. Like it's gotta be the same feeling. Totally. Yeah, no, 100%. You know, someone, especially when it's a pup that, you know, it, you know, was born and raised here at Western Kennels, and they send you a picture a year later and they're dogs in the blind, you know, bringing back and just has a beautiful retrieve on a beautiful bird and they're just cherishing every moment of it. I mean, that's, that's a, I love, yeah, you know, I, I love that. I love that and I love knowing that when I'm, you know, handing over these little puppies, it's gonna be you know uh, they're gonna be in that person's life the way that you know a special a real special dog is like you grow up with those dogs that you'll just never forget you know and this is what that puppy is gonna be to them yeah. you know and, and i love that yeah, yeah. i mean there's, there's an immense amount of satisfaction when you you know you see that and you know I, and then sometimes you know i'll get photos of dishes and stuff like that you know or people are just Brought to you by Fido, you know what I yeah. mean? And it's, <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's fun. It's it's definitely fun, you know. And and the other thing too is that like when it comes to wild game cooking, I don't um or when it comes to cooking in general, you know, I I don't um, 
I don't get motivated to really like throw down and cook unless it's, you know, there are elements of it that I, you know, harvested or foraged or something like that. That's really what gets me excited about making dishes, making something good that I really like um, out of something that, you know, on a top of the ground. No, 100%. Well, I know it's been about an hour, so I don't want to keep you from those dogs. So tell everyone where they can find you. I mean, I know you still got some puppies for sale if people are interested in buying a beautiful black lab. Um, so kind of give all your information so people can have that, and then I'll put that in the show notes too where people can find how to, you know, your website and your Instagram and social, all that good jazz. Yeah, for sure. So the website is westendkennels.com. Instagram is just West End underscore kennels. Um, you can reach out to me uh, through either of those. There's contact information on the website there. Uh, we're based out of Missoula, Montana. Um, you know, most people that, you know, the, the pups that are going home are really from all over the U.S. You know, most people are flying in, driving in, uh, some local folks as well. Um, I do have litter on the ground right now. A couple pups available. They're absolutely phenomenally bread pups that I'm really excited about and uh yeah feel free to reach out whenever I'm always uh, always up for talking dogs talking hunting talking shops so um yeah well I appreciate you coming on today and wasting some time talking about hunting and dogs and especially food so I appreciate it, Alex and uh hey man my favorite thing to do and and uh definitely wasn't a burden I appreciate you having me on this is nice yeah no problem so again Go on and check out his socials. Go on and check out the web the website uh, westendkennels.com, uh, and you can see some beautiful. I mean, there's there's some gorgeous red labs on there, um, which I'm a little biased to. So, uh, but anyway, thank you again for coming on, and uh, stay tuned for Shot Show, which is coming up next week. We're gonna post a bunch of what's new at Shot Show uh, stuff. So make sure you. Follow along on that journey on all the social media platforms that from field to plate. And you have anything else, Alex, before we uh, get out of here? Oh, just uh, have a good rest of your season. If you're still having a season and uh, don't forget to cook up and tag field to plate. There you go. Cause food, if you don't eat, you die. I say it a lot. So get out there, right. shoot, shoot a bird, cook it up, tag me and let's, uh, let's enjoy seeing some food. So until next time, my friends, we'll talk to you later.